Good morning, church. Let's uh, continue in worship by turning in our Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, we're going to be in verses 5 to 13 this morning. Matthew chapter 8, as you can see, I made it back from Ghana uh, safely and uh, praising the Lord for that. Uh, You know, I always said, you know, the most stereotypical thing, a pastor goes to Africa and then comes back dressed like an, an African, and I thought, you know, I'm not going to be that stereotypical pastor. And then I thought, of course I'm going to be that stereotypical pastor. And so here I am, so, you know, Christopher and Marcy, we've all got our matching, uh, this, is, this is dressed up, just so you know. What you guys are wearing is, is not dressed up in uh, Africa. It's not colorful enough. So the more colorful, the better. And if I was really dressed up, I'd have the matching pants too, but I didn't do the matching pants uh, this morning. But I tell you what, it is good to be back with my church family uh, worshiping together. Last Sunday at this time, I was worshiping with a different church family, and I got the opportunity to preach at the Baptist church there in uh, Kozobi, the, the village that we were in. And uh, worship was very different. Um, more people dancing during worship than here. You know, Roger Miller was the only one I saw dancing this morning. Everyone else kind of stay in your place. But a very different expression of worship, right? Different language uh, that God was being worshipped in. And yet, always a reminder, anytime I can go uh, overseas and be a part of a worship service there, it just helps expand my vision for who God is. And just a reminder uh, that... Uh, People all over the world from all different cultures worship God, and it may look very different, but it's the same God that they're worshiping because they have done the same thing in their hearts. God has done the same thing in their hearts that he has done in our hearts. And so it was a blessing to be there, and now it is a blessing to be back. I have a couple videos for you. So one, we were visiting the Butlers, which is one of our missionary partners, and uh, one of the ministries of the Butlers is they have a school that uh, is in the village there. It's a Christian school, and it's really going amazing. Uh, They have now over, or close to 200 students, and they're going, so from two years old up through second grade, and they're growing it one classroom every year. So next year then, they'll add third grade, and then fourth grade, and so on. So that was, we got to spend most of our time in the school, and here I think is a video of some of those kids uh, singing in the school. So super fun. Uh, every morning when we got to the school, we were, at, at first I think maybe we helped a little bit, and then by the end I think the teachers were ready to see us leave because we were a little bit, uh, brought some added chaos into the classroom environment, I would say. There was some excitement there. We also got to eat some interesting foods. Um, I have a video here of uh, Christopher and I. This is the Cheers. most adventurous we were. That's dried fish, just sun-dried. It's a double, they're stuck together. Fishy. When it, gets, when it gets wet, it gets worse. Yep. <laughs> uh, tasted like fish. is. Uh, <laughs> so just little fish they catch out of the river, put it in the sun to dry, and sell it just like that. And uh, Christopher had in his head that we needed to try some. And so what you didn't see, Marcy cut off the video uh, before we um, walked uh, into an alley and uh, spit them out. We couldn't even... It just, the more you chewed it, it just got worse and worse. Anyways, but I think we have some pictures here too. But like I said, just a great trip. My first time being in Africa, uh, incredible to experience that culture. And then just to go and encourage, uh, this is us all after church and their big crew, uh, encourage the Butler family. So um, it can be hard when you're overseas and uh, 
away from uh, the culture that you're used to. Even though they've been there for, I think, almost 15 years, it still can be hard and lonely. And so to be able to go, we're just thankful for the opportunity to go every once in a while and visit our missionary partners, be an encouragement to them. And then, uh, like I shared with you before, we walked through the, the same strategic planning process we did as a church. We brought over with us and, uh, and went through that with them. And so I think they were blessed by that as well. So uh, thanks for all of your prayer and uh, so good to be back. And now we got some work to do this morning. Uh, so look with me. Hopefully you've turned to uh, Matthew chapter 8. We're going to uh, learn about Jesus healing the servant of a centurion this morning. So I'm going to read this story and then I'll pray. It says this, when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go. Let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Please bow your heads with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we, um, we praise you for this time to be together, uh, to sing the truth of the gospel, to celebrate who you are, what you've done in our lives, what you are doing, Lord to pray for one another, to encourage one another, as we've been spending time doing in our life groups this morning, and to hear your word preached, God. It is no small task um, to preach your word and apply it to our lives. So, Lord, I just pray that you would guide and direct me this morning. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Open our hearts. Lord, we just ask that your spirit would move in a mighty way in this place this morning. Lord, I pray if there are people in here who do not know the freedom that is found in following Jesus and the joy and the eternal satisfaction in being your son, your daughter. God, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation, that they wouldn't delay any longer, that they would know you, know the grace and mercy that is just waiting to be poured out on them because of Jesus. And we praise you for that grace. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this week uh, when I got back into the office, uh, Pastor Craig and I were talking and he was talking to me about uh, the series that they're going through in the book of Exodus as a youth group. And uh, right now he said they're getting to the story of the plagues. And he said one of the challenging things when you're going through a story like that that is, uh, it's a completely bonkers story when you think about it, right? And then also a very familiar story. One of the challenges is that we can just, it can just kind of all become ho-hum to us, right? It, it's hard to get across how unbelievable these things actually are. Like, 
yeah, frogs and darkness and the water turned to blood and all that. But I mean, yeah, yawn. You know what I mean? I've heard it before. And I feel this very similar, as we were talking, about going through these stories of Jesus' life. Right? We know that Jesus can heal people. We know that Jesus breaks all sort of cultural rules. We know that Jesus is all-powerful, that Jesus can do anything that he wants. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes in my Bible reading, and when I'm reading specifically stories about Jesus healing people, you just kind of read the story, and it's like, okay, he healed that person. That's great. He healed a lot of people. There you go. And one of the, the challenges and one of the uh, important things, if you're a teacher of the Bible in any capacity, is to almost introduce the wonder back into these familiar stories. The Bible is unlike any other book that has ever been written. It's categorically different, right? Because it's inspired by God. Yet at the same time, we know that intellectually. When we read it, it can just kind of feel a little bit ho-hum. This week, we're moving out of our mini-series on the teaching of Jesus, which we've been going through, and now we're moving into another mini-series on the works of Jesus, on the things that Jesus did. And so my hope is that we can become reintroduced with how incredible Jesus is in the Gospels. Not only that his teaching was incredible, but that his works were incredible as well. And I'm starting with this particular story in Matthew because it's a great illustration of how surprising Jesus' ministry was, but it's also filled with things that we can easily miss. There are some shocking things in this story. But when I read it, I didn't hear any of you like gasp, oh my goodness, <laughs> right? <laughs> Why? So we've heard these kinds of things before. And so what we want to do as we talk about the works of Jesus over the next several weeks is we're going to slow down and we are going to try to read these things with fresh eyes. And so this is a great story to start with. We see three surprising things in this story. The first thing we see is a shocking humility on the, on the part of the centurion, a shocking humility. Look again at verse 5. Verse 5 says this, When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. Now this is, again, something that uh, when we first read it, we don't really see anything surprising to our eyes. People came up to Jesus all the time, right? And uh, people came up to Jesus when there was somebody who was suffering and they needed to be healed. But right away, we see several surprising things here. First of all, the fact that a centurion approached Jesus is something that would have never happened. The centurion was a Gentile. He was not a part of the people of God. He was the wrong race. He was the wrong culture. Jewish people and Gentile people didn't just strike up casual conversations with one another. Not only was he a Gentile... But it was worse in the eyes of the Jewish people. He was the worst kind of Gentile, which is that he was part of the Roman military, which was actively oppressing the Jewish people. So the Jewish people would have hated someone like this. We see the word centurion. we got to get that in our minds. The Jewish people would have hated someone like this. And yet we see him here approaching 
Jesus. So right away, we're like, what is going on here? But there's another surprising thing. What does the centurion call Jesus? Look in your Bibles. What does he call him? Hmm? Lord. Lord. Now, this is a man who was under the lordship of Caesar. (laughs) Caesar was his lord. And yet he uses this term to address this Jewish carpenter as Lord. Now, one of the commentaries I was reading this week pointed out that in Matthew, every time someone calls Jesus Lord, it's by a believer. It's a believer. Non-believers would use the term rabbi or teacher or something else. But this man calls Jesus Lord. But then there's a third surprising thing. Already this guy is just humiliating himself by approaching Jesus, and then he calls him Lord. But why was he doing this in the first place? It was on behalf of his servant. His servant. It wasn't him who was suffering. It was his servant. Now that same commentary that I read explained that Roman servants or slaves were not well regarded at all. They were thought of in the same vein as cattle or or other property. And so every other centurion in this man's uh, status in the situation just wouldn't have cared. <laughs> and would have just waited for the servant to die and gotten another one. No big deal. And so what we have here is a shocking display of humility on behalf of this centurion. He's willing to break all sorts of social norms and cultural rules, and he comes to Jesus in utter humility. Why? Because he was desperate for the centurion to be healed. He has compassion on his servant, so he approaches Jesus, and he calls him Lord. He says, my my servant is suffering terribly. He's being tormented by this sickness. So my question for you is this, right at the beginning of this passage, is what would it look like for you to approach Jesus with that same humility? If you were willing to humble yourself as much as that centurion was willing to humble himself in coming to Jesus, what would that look like in your walk with the Lord? What would change? I mean, can you imagine when the word got back to this, the other centurions about what this guy did? This guy crawled on his hands and knees to this Jewish person and called him Lord because his servant was sick. I mean, they would have mocked him and laughed at him and ridiculed him. You begged a Jewish carpenter to heal your servant? What's wrong with you? But the centurion didn't care. He needed to get to Jesus. He was desperate for Jesus. And my question this morning for you is just very simply, how desperate are you for Jesus? Are you so desperate that you don't care what other people will think when they see you seeking after him? When other people see maybe people you work with, maybe family members, people who don't believe in Jesus, that you actually believe this stuff. You actually believe in the Bible and read it, that bunch of old nonsense. You actually pray. You think anyone's listening to you when you pray? Are you kidding me? 
What does it look like for you to approach Jesus with such abandon because you're so desperate for him that you just don't care what other people think? Honestly, I think this is something that could even hold us back as a church. Like when we worship, I joked about the different cultural expressions of worship, but I wonder how much when we even worship together, are you thinking about, oh, I don't want to raise my hands or do anything that other people are going to look at me and, and, and think I'm being a little ridiculous, right? We talked about a few weeks ago when we pray, are you, are you pray together, are you thinking about your prayer to the Lord or are you worried about what other people think? You see, when you understand how desperately you need Jesus, because we all desperately need Jesus, you won't be thinking about how you look to other people when you follow him. The centurion humbled himself completely to get to Jesus. Are you doing the same? Are you worried about something? I don't know. That's something you have to ask in your own heart. Am I really willing to completely humble myself because I know I need to get in front of my Savior? We've seen a shocking humility on behalf of this centurion. But you know, this is like only the very beginning of the things that just blow your mind. Because the second thing we see is a mind-boggling faith. You can tell I got my thesaurus out this week to find other words for surprising. So we've seen a shocking humility... And we see now a mind-boggling faith here on behalf of the centurion. Look at how Jesus responds in verse 7. He says this. He said to him, I will come and heal him. Now some of you, raise your hand if your translation has a question there instead of a statement. Shall I come and heal him? A lot of you. So this is really a toss-up. could be either one. The Greek grammar allows for both. And there's good arguments for both. So if he's saying, shall I come and heal him? What he's really doing is saying, you really want me, a Jewish man, to come into your house, a Gentile person. Which was, again, very loaded culturally. For one, this would have made Jesus ceremonially unclean. We don't have time to get into exactly what that means, but it would have messed up a whole bunch of things in Jesus' life for, a, for an amount of time because he would have become ceremonially unclean by going into this Gentile's house. But then it's also a question of, Do you really want me to be seen in your house? Are you really willing to have me in your house? Right? But if it's a statement, it's a similar kind of thing. He's saying, okay, if that's what's going on, then I will come and heal him. But look what comes next. Look at what the centurion says next in verse 8. The centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. This is that humility again. Every other centurion would have said, you're not worthy to come into my house. What does he say? He says, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. And then he says this, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. Okay, this is one of those things that doesn't hit us because we know Jesus can do this, right? None of us are surprised that the centurion thought that Jesus could do this because we know Jesus could do this. Jesus could heal him with just a word and he'd be healed. Here's the thing. Here's what's so amazing about the centurion saying this at this moment. Jesus had never done that before. Long distance miracles were not a thing at this point. Jesus had never, every time Jesus has healed someone, It has been face-to-face, laying a hand on them, and the healing takes place right there. The centurion says, 
I don't need you to come to my house. I'm not worthy to have you come to my house. But you say the word and he'll be healed. This isn't like Jesus offered different miracle packages, right? Like you want the standard or the deluxe, right? The standard, I'll just do it from here. The deluxe, I'll come to your house. There's a money back on the deluxe, so I'd recommend the deluxe, but you know, either one and the centurions. It's okay, I'll just have the standard. I don't need to go through the whole process of you coming. That's not any of this, right? That's not what's going on. Jesus had never healed someone from afar before, and the centurion says, I know you can just say the word, and my servant will be healed. But we haven't even gotten to the amazing part yet. The amazing part isn't what the centurion thought Jesus could do. The amazing part is why the centurion thought that Jesus could do it. Look at verse 9. This is why Jesus thought, this, or the centurion thought, that Jesus could heal this man with a word. Verse 9. For I too am a man under authority, catch that, under authority, with soldiers under me. He says, I also, I'm under someone's authority and I have people under me. Because of that, he says, I say to one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. To my servant, do this, and he does it. He's making an analogy here. It's a little unclear at first what he's saying. But basically he's saying, there are people in authority over me. And because of that, when I give orders, the people under me need to carry them out. One interesting uh, cultural experience we had in Ghana was we were in this village called Kojobi. And every village has a chief. And that chief is in charge. What he says goes. We actually got an experience. We got to meet the chief. And so we went to his house and knocked on the door. And someone greeted us and you know, sat us down. Said the, the chief will be in shortly or something like that. And, and we just kind of sat there. And then a few minutes later, he comes walking in. And there's like this like reverence in the room. Like this awe. Like we're here with the chief. And then he said some things. And I didn't know what to say. And I'm sure I said something incredibly awkward. I don't even remember. But it's like we're here with with the chief, but this chief has this authority in this village, and he has this council underneath him. And so, if the chief wants something done, he tells the council, and then the council carries it out. And so, if the, someone on the council approaches you in the village and tells you you're going to do this, the chief wants you to do this, you don't have a choice. You're doing it right. It's a very different culture than here. It's, the council says something because of the the chief's authority. You don't have a choice. You've got to do what the chief says that you're going to do. There's a similar thing going on in this passage. The centurion says, I'm under authority and I have people under me. But because, not because of my authority, but because of the authority that's over me, now I can tell the men under me, you've got to go do this, and they have to go do it. You see what I'm saying here? So here's the analogy that the centurion is making about Jesus. He says, you are under authority. Of who? God. Because you're under God's authority, anybody under or anything under that authority has to obey you. So what's he saying? I know that sickness is under your authority because it's under God's authority. And so if you speak a word to sickness, sickness has to obey and go away. What an unbelievable faith. Jesus has an authority that is far beyond 
anything that we can imagine. And that's what Matthew is actually making pains to set up for us in this section of the book. So right before this passage, in chapter 7, verses 28 and 29, we see the crowd's reaction to the teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. What's it say? That when he finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. Why? For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. See, his teaching was categorically different than anything they'd heard before because it had authority. And right after that, Matthew tells us a story about the authority of Jesus over sickness in this passage here. And then just a few verses later, we see the authority of Jesus in verse 27 after he calls the storm. His disciples say, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? And then if you look right after that in your Bibles, what does Jesus do? He casts out her, uh, demons into a herd of pigs. You see what's happening here? This is what Matthew's showing us. Jesus can speak and people will obey him. His teaching has authority. Jesus can speak and sickness will obey him. Jesus can speak and the weather will obey him. Jesus can speak, and the whole demonic spiritual realm has to obey him. Jesus has authority over everything. And then what, at the very end of Matthew, what does Jesus say, just to drive it home? All what? Authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus has the authority of God. He has all authority in the heavenly realm and the earthly realm. He speaks and sickness obeys. Storms obey. Demons obey. So let me ask you, church, who else would you want to follow other than that? I'll tell you a cool story. We had a firsthand example of Jesus orchestrating things by his authority just this week at a, in, in our staff meeting. We were in our staff meeting. And we're talking about something with the children's wing remodel that we're hoping to do here soon. That, uh, it was, but this one element was going to cost uh, over $6,000. And we just didn't know. We wanted to do it. We didn't know if it was uh, worth it, worth the money. It's a lot of money. Um, and uh, literally, as we're talking about it, somebody not from our church came and brought a, a, a special gift to the church, a check. Guess how much you think that check was worth? $6,000, as we're talking about it. Yeah, wow. <laughs> How cool is God? I mean, it's just, again, you, you think, you make plans, you think we know what we're going to do, we try to make the best decision, and then God just comes in and blows you away. Now, I know many of you, if not all of you, have a story like that in your life where God showed up in a big, big way. We all have that story in our salvation, right? If you've been saved. As I ran my hellbound race, indifferent to the cost, he looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. He has authority to do all things. Now, does God always provide the exact financial amount that you need in that moment? No. Does he sometimes? Yeah, and that's really cool. When he does, it's a, it just is a reminder. He is authority over all things. And so the question is, do you believe that God has that same kind of authority that he has for sickness and the weather and the demons? 
Do you believe he has that authority in your life? Do you give him that authority in your life? If God says to go, do you obey? If God says do this, do you do it? If God says step out of your comfort zone and follow me, do you listen? Do you trust that that's the best way? If the winds and the sea and sickness and demons obey him, don't you think that you should as well? It's convicting, isn't it? When we get a glimpse of Jesus' authority over all things, it should cause us to take stock of our own lives and ask, do I have that same kind of faith that the centurion did? The centurion knew he'd never seen it before. No one had ever seen it before. But he knew because of who Jesus came from, that he could speak a word and sickness would have to obey. Do I believe that and do I live like it? Jesus was amazed by this demonstration of faith. Man, I hope that we all live our lives in such a way that Jesus is amazed by your faith. Look at what Jesus said. He makes an astounding claim, starting in verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he marveled. Man, I want Jesus to marvel at my faith. Too often it's the opposite. But when Jesus saw this faith of this man, he marveled. And he said to those who followed him, listen to this. Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Then he doubles down. He says, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yeah, this is utterly shocking to the people who would have heard this, to the disciples. It doesn't hit us as shocking because we know that Jesus came to make disciples of all nations. But what Jesus is saying here would have been unthinkable. Jesus, Jewish people didn't have categories of believer or non-believer. It was, you were Jewish and therefore a part of the people of God, or you were not Jewish and therefore not a part of the people of God. But Jesus says something completely different. He says there's going to be many people who come from east and west, meaning many people outside of God's chosen family. They're going to come, and they're going to sit at the table with your forefathers. Meanwhile... The sons of the kingdom, the Jewish people, many of them are going to be banished into outer darkness. You see what he's doing? He's redefining the people of God. It's no longer based on your family heritage. It's based on something different. What is it? He says, with no one in Israel have I found such what? Try that again. It's okay. With no one in Israel have I found such what? Faith. What does it mean to be included in the people of God? Is it your heritage? Is it where you come from? Is it your family? Is it how much you keep the rules? Is it how much you put in the offering plate on a Sunday morning? Is it how much you just do what's expected of you? No, it's none of that. What is it? Faith. The sons and daughters are king of the kingdom are there by faith. Verse 13, and to the centurion Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. The centurion believed and the servant was healed. And here's my question for you as, my, as we close, and it's a simple one. 
do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus has authority? That when he speaks, sickness must flee, and storms must be calmed, and demons must obey. Do you believe that he can heal you with a word? Your salvation, just like Pastor David said right at the beginning of our service, your salvation is grounded in nothing but faith alone. And that's crazy when you think about it, isn't it? That's hard to believe sometimes. It's just your faith. What even is faith? You can't, like, quantify it. You don't, you don't like, there's no visible marker of this. You don't, like, get a tattoo on your arm when you finally have mustered up enough faith to believe. Faith can even fluctuate at times, can't it? Sometimes you feel your faith is very strong. Sometimes you feel your faith is hanging on by a thread. And yet it's faith that defines the people of God. Do you believe? Jesus calls us to believe. This morning, very simply, I urge you to believe. Oh man, it can be so easy to just start to get into the habit of thinking that my relationship with God is just based on these things that I think are expected of me. Go through the motions. Do you really believe? You believe in his authority. Are you obeying his authority? This morning we're going to uh, partake in the Lord's Supper as a symbol that Jesus gave us to remember what he did on the cross to make a way for our salvation. We need to remember it's only that. It's a, it's a symbol. Some people over the years have made this symbol into something that actually is their salvation, right? If you take this, you'll be saved. We don't take it to get saved. We take it to remember the reason why we're saved, which is the blood of Jesus Christ. So if you're, if you're not saved, I just want to ask you this morning to refrain from, from taking this. This is something for believers, people who are following Jesus. And instead, spend this time in prayer asking the Lord to help you believe, to give you that faith. This is the time to do that. You're not going to, this is the time. This is the time. Ask God to reveal himself to you. Ask the Spirit to move in you. Ask Jesus to forgive you. And believe in his mercy that is far greater than all our sin. If you have been saved, take this time to reflect on your faith. Do you believe that Jesus has all authority in your life? Have you been living like it? Have you been trying to keep back some authority for yourself? What do you need to hand over to the Lord this morning? What a great time to pray about these things. Think about these things. And thank Jesus for the gift of faith. The centurion believed, and his servant was healed at that very moment. If you do not yet believe, I promise you, when you believe, you will be healed like that. That's our God. Because our sin has to obey. When it's covered by his blood, it's covered by his blood. All of it. Amen? So right now, the ushers are going to come forward. They're going to dismiss you, front, starting in the back, row by row. I'm going to have you come up down the center aisle and grab their cups are in stacks of two. Make sure you get them both and just hang on to it and just spend some time in prayer at your seat. In just a few moments, I'll lead us in the eating and drinking together.
1 Corinthians 11.23, Paul says this. <clears throat> For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this, he said, in remembrance of me. Let's eat. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. In other words, this cup and what it contains represents the blood of Jesus, the life he gave to secure the promise of salvation. Do this, he said, as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's do that now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. How can we even say thank you for sending your son to die, to be the sacrifice? Live a perfect life and shed his blood so that we could be saved all who believe, and then rose again to conquer death forever, and then ascended into heaven to reign on high until he comes again, and heaven and earth are one, and the new heavens, and the new earth, the new creation. And we have the promise to be a part of that creation In our new bodies, no longer in the presence of sin or suffering, but made perfect and complete just like we were intended to be from the beginning. None of that is possible without the sacrifice that Jesus made. So Lord, may we remember that sacrifice. Remember the authority that Jesus has in our lives. Believe. It's like the centurion believed that Jesus can do all things. And Lord, help us with our unbelief. We praise you, Father. You are so good to us. Better than we deserve. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat>